Uh, definitely want to welcome everyone to our Uptown Worship Service. As we have started maybe two weeks ago, we are on a series on First and Second Thessalonians. Paul wrote First Thessalonians, probably the very first letter that he has written, uh, even though that's not the way it's ordered in our Bible. And the Thessalonians is probably the first church plant that he has founded. Uh, and there's actually so much that we can learn from the ways that he's writing to the Thessalonians how we can better understand our lives, the struggles that we're experiencing, and really have a deeper appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that we're already in mid-October. Uh, I try not to look at the calendar because I just feel like life is just going by way too fast and it causes me a lot of anxiety and grief. But the truth of it is, is we are in mid-October. And I, and I remember, whenever I think about the fall season, uh, I do think about way back when, when I was getting ready to drop off our firstborn son, Jude, to daycare. Uh, if you are a parent, or if you've ever worked at a daycare, or if you've ever worked in a setting where you're dealing with one to two-year-olds, you know how uh, traumatic this type of experience could be. Uh, he's our very firstborn. He was maybe six months at the time. Um, you know, Jeannie and I were wondering if his immune system was strong enough to be able to handle daycare. Uh, Jeannie was working basically nonstop, like 120 hours a week at this point. So it was, it, I, I felt like, um, yeah, I had to do the drop off duties and get him ready. And not only the physical biological aspect of, of whether or not his immune system can handle it, but really just the, the psychological aspect. If you know anything about children, especially at that young age, that's right at the cusp of separation anxiety where for little infants, when they don't see something, they actually think that that thing does not exist anymore. So for Jude, up until that point, I was in his world. Like I was a permanent fixture in his world. And whatever he saw and experienced, I was there. And for him to think that I wasn't present, he became aware that, or he became aware that I was not present. And for him, he interpreted that as I didn't exist anymore. So that's why whenever you see uh, newborns around that age or when they're about to become a toddler, when they're separated from their parents, it is truly a catastrophic experience for them. So I'm thinking, how do I prepare Jude? Am I, is this too premature? Maybe we should wait a little bit longer. But I had to, you know, I'm working full-time, Jeannie's working full-time. Um, and yeah, at, at a certain point, we felt like this was the right decision. I prepared him so every single day I would drive to the daycare, um, you know, before he's actually starting. I would make him familiar with the surroundings. I'll have him take a look at his teachers, all these different things. And finally, the morning arrived where I'm dropping Jude off at daycare. He has his favorite stuffed animal. I have him with a favorite hat, all these favorite paraphernalia to provide him more comfort. And he thinks I'm going to be there with him. He thinks I'm going to hang out with him at daycare all day. And then once he notices that something's wrong, you see a sudden change in facial expression. His body tightens up. His little pudgy body, you can tell. And I say bye. And immediately, I've never seen him cry so loudly, so desperately. He's clinging on to me. And, you know, as a parent, there's a part of me that wants to stay because, you know, that's your own flesh and blood. Seeing him cry like that makes you feel it's a, it's a very vicarious feeling. 
a very strong feeling that I had. But at the same time as a parent, I knew that the best thing for me to do was to depart and to leave. And that's exactly what the daycare teachers told me is you just need to leave. So I had to swiftly turn my back. I had to unclench his fists. He had a very tight grip and I had to walk away. I had to leave. And as I was walking away, man, my heart was so burdened for Jude. Uh, fortunately, I, my work at the time was basically across the street from the daycare center, which was great. So I could actually walk. But throughout the entire day, because I knew Jude was just across the street, I couldn't stop thinking about him. I mean, I was still getting my work done. I was still being a very good employee. But my heart was still with Jude. I could still feel the grip that he had on my shirt. I could still hear the, the wailing of his desperate pleas for me not to leave. Throughout the workday, I couldn't stop thinking about him. So when I had my lunch break and I was able to move around, immediately I walked over to the daycare center. I didn't go inside the room because I didn't want to disrupt any type of rhythm that Jude might be establishing, but I will look from the window and see how he's doing. And if there were a, a, a conference call that I had during work that I was able to just phone in, I would just phone in from my cell phone uh, with a headpiece and I'll walk over to the daycare center. And every opportunity that I had, I would check up on Jude. Is he adapting well? Is he adjusting well? Did I make a mistake by leaving him prematurely? And that type of heart of a father, I feel like you kind of need to understand all of those emotions, that burden, the heart that you have for a child in order for us to understand the passage that we're about to read. Because very similarly, Paul felt like he left the Thessalonians too early. Like I mentioned earlier, the Thessalonians is probably one of his first church plants. And as we are going to find out in this portion of the letter, he had to leave abruptly. And most likely, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy had to leave abruptly because they were being persecuted. And as much as they loved the Thessalonians, sharing the gospel with them, they felt like, just like me dropping Jude off at daycare, and Paul said it last week, where he felt like a father, like a nursing mother, he felt like he left the Thessalonians a little too early. And throughout whatever ministry that he was proceeding on, he couldn't stop thinking about the Thessalonians. During his lunch break, at every opportunity, we're going to see in this letter that he is constantly worried, concerned about the faith of the Thessalonians. Are they adapting well? Are they adjusting? Are they growing? Or are they succumbing to some of the afflictions that they're experiencing? So we're going to take a look at all of this and we're going to see what this actually says. Not so much about Paul, because this passage is not about Paul, essentially. This passage is not even about Thessalonians. This passage is really about God's heart for us and how we are recipients of his intense, and as our sister Kathy shared, prayed, his enduring love for us. So we're going to unpack all of this. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll dig in. Uh, Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Your word is so timely. It is truly your word for us. That is not only relevant to Paul 2,000 years ago, but has been relevant to your people at every era of life. And even right now, as we are wrapping up 2020, and we have no idea what 2021 holds, let alone the next month. And as all of us, not only at a societal level, but at a personal level, 
We are beset with so many things that are making our faith and our trust in you put to the test, making us feel fragile and vulnerable. And I just pray that this passage, your word, Holy Spirit, take it, sear it into our hearts, convict us, allow us to be once again overwhelmed by the blessings that we have all received because of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. So we entrust this time to you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, if you're new here, I do want to again welcome you. You're going to notice in our YouTube stream that there is a phone number at the bottom of our screen. That is, any questions that you have about the sermon, about our community, any prayer requests that you might have, or any prayers that you want to utter, you can text all of those away. We will reflect upon all those things at the conclusion of our sermon. And all these messages are anonymous. So don't worry if you feel shy, introverted, if you don't feel confident. It doesn't matter. All this is anonymous. And based on the messages that we've been having over the past year or so, all of them have been so edifying and encouraging. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to send any message. So like I mentioned, we are focused on uh, 1 Thessalonians. We are already at chapter 2, believe it or not. And we are going to go into chapter 2 and chapter 3 here. So um, let me just uh, make sure that we are in the right place in our slide. So please excuse us for some of the technical issues, but they are pretty... They're pretty minor. So here, so the title of the sermon is Being Torn and Prayerful. That's how I felt about Jude when I was dropping him off at daycare. And that's how Paul overall feels about the Thessalonians. And as we're going to see, this is also how God views us as well. Uh, he has truly a heart of a parent for us. So let's take a look at this. So this is Paul writing chapter 2, verse 17. And as I mentioned, he left prematurely, or at least he felt so. But since we were torn away from you, uh, so the title of the sermon comes right out of this verse, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, like I mentioned earlier, they felt like they were torn away. Again, he thinks of them as his children, like a nursing mom as a father. Brothers, for a short time, in person, but not in heart. So he makes it clear, even though physically we were removed, our hearts were still with you. And in some ways, we can probably do a sermon on that, especially in light of the physical distancing. Um, but that's not going to be the point of the sermon. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. You can sense his urgency, his great burden for them. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So he made a lot of efforts. Just like me during my lunch break, I'm trying to take a look at Jude, but Satan hinders me or whatever. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I have a heart of a parent for you and I tried time and time again, but I kept being hindered by Satan. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And Paul is basically saying, you Thessalonians, I know you may look at us leaving abruptly, you may look at it as us just moving on or us being busy, but actually we couldn't stop thinking about you guys. Even though physically we're distant, our heart is for you. Because remember, like I mentioned in chapter one, I look at you as if I am your nursing mother. I look at you as if I am your father. I shared my life with you. I am so burdened for you. Savannah, Timothy, we pray for you guys nonstop, as he mentioned in chapter one. And the type of heart that Paul has for the Thessalonians. You can relate it with the type of heart that I had for Jude, for my children. 
You can even relate it with the type of heart that I have, even for this uptown congregation, especially during the pandemic, where I don't get to see the faces, where I don't, where I'm unable to have those short conversations in the fellowship hall. Yes, I can resonate with a lot of the things that Paul is saying right here. But ultimately, however, the type of heart that Paul displays here in this passage and really throughout 1 Thessalonians is truly the heart that God has for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is merely an ambassador of Jesus. He's merely an ambassador of God. So the types of affection, the love, the burden that Paul has for the Thessalonians is not... The moral of the story isn't, wow, Paul's a swell guy, or the Thessalonians must have been very lovable people. That's not the moral of the story. That's not the point of why this passage is here. The point that this passage is trying to draw at is that whatever Paul's love is expressing is a love that really comes from God. And this is truly an expression that God loves us in such a deep, intense way. It's something that we need to think about more often because many times when we are being dropped off at daycare, just like Jude, or when we feel like people have departed from us and we feel lonely, vulnerable, fragile, we may interpret that. Our default disposition is to interpret that as God doesn't care. God is distant. God is not with us. But in actuality, the same evocative emotional language that Paul is writing with is only an expression of the deep burden and longing that God has for you, for me, for all those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize that for those of us who are listening carefully. You notice that I said twice, for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this intense fatherly parental love that God has for us is not just for everybody and anybody. Because as you have heard over the past few weeks, and we've been very explicit about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ means that we were once enemies before God. We were once rebels before God. And for many of us, we're thinking, why would such a high, almighty, holy God care about me? That's a legitimate question. Because you're thinking, I'm not even significant. My parents don't even love me the same way that Paul is writing. My significant other doesn't even love me the same way that Paul is writing. Why would a God who is so high and lofty care about me? And not only that, not only am I insignificant, but Pastor Yale, you don't know my past. You don't know the different addictions I have. You don't know the character flaws I have. You don't know how poorly I handle my anger how easily I get into grudges. You don't know how easily I fall into lust, into gossip, into coveting, into materialism. You don't know how messed up my life is. And that's why I'm emphasizing. This is a type of love that is reserved for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we look at ourselves, yes, we are undeserving of this type of love. This type of heart that God has, as I express, the type of love that I had for Jude, the type of love that Paul and Savannah and Timothy had for the Thessalonians. We are undeserving of having this type of love from the high almighty God who is sovereign over the entire universe. Yes, you are right. We are insignificant. 
We are sinful. We are imperfect. We don't deserve it. And that is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important because this love is not based upon who we are. This love is based upon what Jesus has done on our behalf. As our brother Terry reminded us, that Jesus paid for that price, not only being the sacrificial offering, but offering it on our on the behalf of the priest, allowing us to be recipients of this amazing love that God has for us, that it is truly deeper, more intense, more faithful, more reliable, more loving than the heart that even the best mom or dad has for his or her children. So these few verses that we read, Paul being torn away, constantly thinking about them, and as we read in the first chapter, always thanking them in prayer, longing, desiring to see them face to face, Again and again, how the Thessalonians are his joy, his crown, his boasting. That is how God views us who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. The next question, however, is why is Paul so concerned about the Thessalonians? And in similar fashion, why would God have such a burdened heart for us? And here, this is a biblical principle that I think we typically neglect, and it's so important. And that is the idea that all Christians, no matter where you are in the phase of life that you're in, maybe you feel like you are a veteran Christian. There really is no such thing. But let's say you feel like you're a seasoned Christian. All Christians without exception, we struggle with a vulnerable and fragile faith and trust in God. That's just the way it is. And the reason why I emphasize this biblical principle is because A, is true, and I'm going to demonstrate how it's true throughout Scripture, but B, it is so relevant for us because I know for many of us, especially during the pandemic, but not just being in the pandemic, our faith, we feel very fragile. We feel very vulnerable in our relationship with God. And again, do not misinterpret that as we typically do our default sinful tendency is to interpret that as God is not with me, he's distant, or there's something wrong with me, I need to shut myself, and I need to cave in more into withdrawing, not only from my friends, but even from God. That is, no, 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 this is the way things are. And instead, God is placing us in situations where our faith does feel very vulnerable and fragile in order for us to be a blessing to others and also for us to depend on God more. And we're going to see that. It's part of his design. So therefore, we see Paul continues to write. And now we're in chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Again, can you sense the urgency that Paul has for the Thessalonians? He's constantly wanting to see them. Again, this is a glimpse of the type of urgency and the love that God has for you and for me and all those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, you know what? Me and Salvanus, we tried our hardest, but Satan hinders us at every turn. Instead, we came up with plan B, and we are sending Timothy to come to you to make sure that you guys are okay. And just notice, co-worker in the gospel of Christ, everything that Paul talks about in this letter is cloaked 
is wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're being very explicit about that so that we don't miss that. So we sent Timothy, uh, our brother, uh, co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So what is Paul concerned about? Is Paul's concerned, Thessalonians, we're not sure if your faith is quite yet established. Your faith still needs to be exhorted. Your faith is probably struggling. We left prematurely. You guys are new Christians. You guys are in a very hostile society where people are going to be persecuting you. And we are really worried about your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Not only is he concerned about their faith not being yet established, but like I just mentioned, they are being afflicted. And as we saw in uh, chapter 1, at least from the Jews who are persecuting them because they think that they are being deviant and they are following some cult. So they are being afflicted. There might be other types of afflictions as well. Uh, it might be afflictions of doubt and anxiety, which we're going to touch upon uh, next week. They're experiencing a lot of things that are making their faith feel very vulnerable. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And here Paul is saying, when he says, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this, he is saying, your afflictions, the struggles, the adversities that you're experiencing, whether it is anxiety and worries that we're going to see, or whether it is physical persecution, it could be a host of a lot of things. Paul is saying, you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Meaning, as Christians, we are destined for afflictions. We are destined for a lifestyle, so to speak, where our faith is being afflicted and where our faith needs exhortation and it to be further established. He continues, Paul, for when we were with you, Paul's saying, remember when me, Savannah, Timothy, we were with you guys, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Paul's basically saying, I told you so, but he's saying it in a much more pastoral way. He's saying the afflictions, the doubts, the anxieties, all these problems that you're experiencing that are hindering your faith. Did we not tell you while we were with you that this is par for the course? This is what it means to be a Christian. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know, for this reason, I could bear it no longer. So Paul is thinking, yes, we did warn him. Yes, we did try to teach them, but we left abruptly and I don't know. Maybe they're succumbing to the afflictions. Maybe they're being overly moved when I could bear it no longer. Again, you sense this heart of a dad, a heart of a nursing mother really is the heart of God. I sent to learn about what? Your faith, their trust and their faith in God. That's what Paul is after. For fear that somehow the tempter and the te had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul is saying that he was worried, deeply concerned, deeply burdened, because he's wondering all the labor that we placed on the Thessalonians, teaching them the gospel, sharing his entire life with them, all that could be in vain because he is thinking the faith of the Thessalonians are probably very fragile and vulnerable. And it's not because Paul thought that the Thessalonians were weak sauce or he thought that the Thessalonians were grade B on the Christian scale. This is just the fact of what it means to live a gospel life. 
is all of us, we are struggling with a fragile and vulnerable faith. And I could demonstrate this from Genesis to Revelation. You look at Abraham in the Bible reading plan in our worship drop-ins. We saw Abraham. Wow, his faith and trust in God was very fragile. And he is the father of our faith. And yet, he is the example where his faith was so fragile. Selling out his very own wife, not once, twice, because he couldn't trust in God. We see Moses. Even Moses took matters into his own hands because he couldn't trust that God would be with him. He himself had to wander for 40 years in his own personal exodus because his faith needed to be refined. And even as he led the people out of Israel, you saw the 10, uh, the ten plagues. Man, he was very timid in plague one and two. He was very insecure in God's presence and involvement in his life. But you also see that God is faithful to him. And by the 10th sign, wow, Moses is just a rock star. So much swagger because Moses had to live that out. He had to live through seasons and periods where his faith and his trust in God was very fragile. You see this more collectively in the history of Israel where Deuteronomy chapter 8 is very explicit where God said, I had to place you in 40 years of desert wilderness in order to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. In order to teach you that I can provide for you, that your feet will not swell up because I will provide for you physically, I'll provide for you spiritually, I'll provide for you holistically. They had to experience their periods of vulnerability as well. King David, we did an entire Psalm series, sermon series on the Psalms and wow, the things that he wrote were so heroic, so inspirational. But again, if you're a part of the Bible reading plan and our worship drop-ins, you know David. Wow, he experienced a lot of questionable, he made a lot of questionable decisions because his trust and his faith in God was very fragile and vulnerable. There's a reason why the Bible includes all these details is because it recognizes that all of us, as we submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our faith and our trust is still newborn. It still needs to experience growth, maturation. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we have all these details of the skeletons of Abraham's closets, the skeletons of Moses' closet, so on and so forth, to repeatedly show us that when you yourself are experiencing moments of fragility, vulnerability, and I'm sure many of us are, do not succumb to your sinful tendency in thinking that God is not there or that there's something wrong with you so you can't approach God. Instead, recognize, biblically speaking, God is staging those things in our lives in order for us to depend on God more, in order for our faith and our trust in Him to mature and to deepen. That's something that we see throughout Scripture. We see that being assumed here as Paul is ministering to the Thessalonians. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we also recognize that that's what God is doing in our respective lives as well. Uh, there's so much to unpack here. Um, I mean, that's why I love even what we do here at Uptown with the each part. Thank you, Esther, again for sharing last week. And not just Esther, 
but other people who have shared their lives with us. Um, thinking about our brother Marcelo over the summer, Christina and Augie, uh, Sam and Yejin have prepared something that we'll show next week. And in every single one of these testimonies, each part, however you want to phrase it, we see in these individuals that their faith and trust in God is vulnerable. There's no knock on them. That's just the reality of it. But what they're able to do is not showcase how strong their faith is, but to showcase that if we just allow God to be who He is in our lives, and instead of succumbing to our sinful tendency and constantly shutting Him out, but recognizing, you know what, I think God is actually in this. God is actually with me. Then what we see is, wow, this is so encouraging. It makes sense of what's happening in our lives. We see it proven in Scripture, and we're able to actually worship and glorify God, even in the midst of difficulties. Uh, just this past week, I had a phone conversation with a brother in our uptown community who's experiencing one of the most devastating moments of his entire life, feeling like, wow, there is just, he doesn't know what to do. And yes, as much as I want to, I wish I could just with a magic wand make all the problems go away. I wish I had that power. But biblically speaking, I recognize, you know what's better? is for him to struggle through this. And he is the one who told me, not me reminding him, he is the one who told me, Pastor Yeah, I feel like God is involved in this. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I know our life is going to be so complicated and it's not going to be comfortable. I'm going to continue to struggle with frustration, disappointment, but I know God is in this. I recognize that. And wow, let me tell you, for this brother, his faith and his trust in God is going to grow so much more through this than having attended a bunch of mission trips, conferences, retreats, or whatever. It is through these periods, these afflictions, these difficulties, that God refines our faith, enables us to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that brings us to, really, the conclusion of our sermon. So we see Paul receives a great report. And he is so ecstatic. He's thinking, yes, like our labor is not in vain. I'm so happy that they have not succumbed to the sinful tendency of shutting God out, of allowing their afflictions to overwhelm and overtake them. So how does Paul respond? And I think how Paul responds is very instructive to us. And how as we are doing church community together, and as we are sharing our lives together, our victories and as well as our failures, being vulnerable to one another, what are some appropriate ways that we respond to that? And it's very applicable, especially as um, our sister Kathy prayed. We are on a new season of life group. And small group is really just the bread and butter of our uptown community. And as we share and as we are vulnerable to one another, here are some things that I think will be really helpful for us to make our life group year really gospel-centered so that we are living out the implications and the blessings of the gospel. So Paul writes in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So Timothy brought back the good news of their 
faith, again, the emphasis is faith. I mean, he does mention love here, but it's really their trust in God. And reported that you always remember us kindly. So Paul's so ecstatic that these Thessalonians, they're still thankful for Paul's relationship, that they didn't misinterpret that as Paul abandoning them. Uh, verse 7, for this reason, because of the good news of your faith, because we heard of your trust in God growing, because of this, brothers, in all our distress and affliction. So Paul is saying, we ourselves, we're experiencing distress and affliction as well. It's not just you Thessalonians. We also, because again, this is really one of the characteristics of being a Christian is we live in this tense moment. In our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So one of the implications of us sharing our lives together and being vulnerable and being able to see, yes, I experienced these failures and I'm experiencing these afflictions, but I'm able to overcome it. I'm able to struggle beyond it. I'm able to recognize that God is involved. I can still sense his character. What that does is one of the implications is you are able to provide comfort to other people who are experiencing distress and affliction. That's what Paul is saying here. When we see you overcoming and at least try to trust in God in the midst of your discomfort, the number one thing that we, the number one implication to us is, wow, we are comforted and we ourselves are experiencing struggles. And isn't this so true? In any small group, everybody carries so much baggage. Everybody carries so many afflictions, discomfort. Everybody. I mean, we're all humans. We live in a, in a sin-cursed world. How can you not? But we don't share those things because we're afraid. Will this person understand? Or am I the only one? Trust me, you're not the only one. We are all living broken lives. And everybody in a small group setting, they're kind of living this siloed life where we're unsure. Can we share this? Is it wise for me to share this? Will they understand? And yes, there is some wisdom that's required, but you're wondering, can I open up? I, can, I don't think they'll understand. You know what? This person, he lives such a perfect life. I've seen his Instagram feed, and man, like this person, he would not be able to relate with me. And that's the type of mentality that we have, which is so counter-biblical. <laughs> because what this passage is saying, and you can see it also, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is my favorite passage about this, is we are all living broken lives. And it's as soon as one person takes that step of vulnerability, isn't it so true? I mean, I've been through countless of small groups over the past 20 years, every year. As soon as that one person opens up, it just opens up a floodgates because we all, we all are craving that type of comfort. You know, if somebody shares about all the victories that she has had or all the victories that he has had, is that really going to encourage or comfort other people? Probably not. If anything, it may just create more resentment and bitterness. But when somebody opens up and says, wow, this week was a miserable week and I'm really struggling. Um, but you know what? I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I remind, I'm reminded that Part of living Christian life is to live under affliction. And I'm just, I'm just placing my hope in Jesus. That what he has done for me is enough. That little sentence, I'm telling you, will truly touch and resonate with so many people. Because we all know what that feels like. To feel like we're at our wit's end. 
So Paul is saying, I feel much comfort. Verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. The next thing that we see is Paul says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God to you? The other thing is not only is Paul experiencing a lot of comfort, but he's also experiencing a lot of thanksgiving. And now we recognize in chapter 1 why Paul is saying night and day we can't stop thanking you, thanking God for you. And another implication, and we're going to experience this in our small group format, is as we experience people being vulnerable, and people struggling, trying to place their trust in God in the moments of their affliction. Not only are we going to be comforted, but we're going to be so thankful. Thankful because we recognize, well, God, you are truly present, in the, not only in my own life, but in the life of my fellow brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful that the prayers I've been praying for this brother and sister are not in vain, that you're actually using those prayers to enable them to continue to persevere in them being able to trust in you. So not only does it provide comfort, it gives us thanksgiving. We also see for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. So comfort, thanksgiving, and joy. Paul is just so joyful that he sees his little children, so to speak, growing up in the faith. That all the warnings that he has given, all of him sharing his life with them, all the things, the blood, sweat, and tears that he poured in, he's seeing the fruit of all that. And because of that, it's so much more rewarding and joyful. You know, a lot of times people wonder, you know, how come I don't really experience much joy in church life? You know, the, the scripture talks so much about joy, how we're able to be joyful together as we share burdens with one another. And there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, I think fundamentally, I think it is our sin problem. But I don't want to make a... That, that's not very helpful because it's not specific enough. One specific problem that I see, especially in recent church culture, and especially during pandemic culture where you're streaming a bunch of YouTube videos, is um, you don't get joy until you put in the blood, sweat, and tears. Paul is saying, I have joy because I put the blood, sweat, and tears and I'm able to see... The fruit of my labor, I didn't see it immediately. There were moments where I felt like I was going to give up. There were moments where I felt like everything was in vain as he explicitly confessed just a few verses earlier. But Paul stuck through it. Many of us in this church culture, when we experience afflictions, difficulties, relational conflicts, whatever, what do we do? Especially in this day and age, we just move churches because it's so easy. And especially in what I will call the YouTube era, of church culture. Wow. I mean, it's not a matter of just walk, just walking down the street. Now it's a matter of point and click. It's so easy. And especially in this YouTube format, we don't necessarily need to talk to anybody. We don't really put the blood, sweat, and tears. And I'm not saying that it's only because of the YouTube era. I do feel like this has always been the case. But it's even more specific now. And I just want to just offer an, uh, an instruction to us based on scripture is if you feel like you're lacking the joy in your church community, it's probably because we're not putting in the blood, sweat, and tears. The more blood, sweat, the more committed, vested, committed you are to these relationships, yes, there will be certain relationships that are going to let you down. But the, and Paul felt that, and he's written about that throughout his letters. There are people who betrayed him. 
But Paul stuck with it. And yes, maybe his batting average wasn't the best. Maybe out of 10 people that he invested in, maybe nine of them deserted him, which was probably pretty accurate. I mean, I didn't do the, I didn't do the analysis, but it's probably pretty accurate. But the one, the Thessalonians, or the one, that one rare exception that really grows and blossoms, and you see that all the love that you put in, all the prayers that you put in, wow, like all that is coming full circle. That's joy. That's the type of joy that Paul is talking about. That's the type of joy that we see in Scripture. And the type of joy that we're looking for, of our ears being tickled or whatever, just having a very comfortable environment, that's not joy. That is just complacency. That is just us wanting, being overly influenced by this consumer-driven culture that we live in. If you want true joy, it's what Paul is exemplifying to us. And it's not easy. And there will be periods where you feel like it's in vain. There will be periods where you are discouraged and disheartened, just like Paul. But just like Paul, if we stick through it, then we experience that type of joy. So Paul experiences comfort. He experiences thanksgiving. He experiences joy. And last but not least, it enables him, it compels him to pray that much more urgently for the Thessalonians. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face, again, that longing for the Thessalonians, and supply what is lacking in your faith. So as much as the Thessalonians are so growing, and they're having positive signs, all these different things, the report is good that Timothy sent back to Paul. Paul still recognizes there is still so much that is lacking in your faith. And therefore, yes, these are signs for us to feel comfort, for us to be thankful, for us to be joyful. But in actuality, it makes me want to pray for you all the more because I recognize that God is answering my prayers. It gives me a deeper urgency because your faith is still lacking. You guys are still vulnerable. Nothing against you, but that is just the reality of all Christians from Abraham, Moses, David, down the line. We need to continually pray for one another. And I think obviously this is very practical for our small groups. They are not social hubs. They are not... These, these life groups are not designed just so that you have somebody to talk to because all of us are living socially distant lives. I mean, yeah, th- those benefits are, are significant and I don't want to underestimate it. But we are, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. We care about each other's souls and spirit. And therefore, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for each other because all of us, we live afflicted lives. All of us, we have that sinful tendency of shutting God out. We need to pray for one another. Only the Holy Spirit can transform us, can change us, so that our trust and our faith in God deepens. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I would love to share, but I want to keep the sermon at its appropriate length. So let's just kind of uh, summarize some of the key ideas in case it was a little unclear. And the first is God's heart and concern for us are so deep. You know, the story that I shared about me for Jude at daycare, or if you think about just any of those type of stories, or even Paul's heart for the Thessalonians, those are drops in the bucket. Those are mere reflections of God's heart and concern that he has for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you simply submit 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how God views you right now. Our sinful tendency is we think God, God's disposition towards us, God's attitude towards us is based on who we are and how many quiet times we've been able to do, how faithful we are, how much we've been able to avoid various addictions. Those things are important, but fundamentally, God's heart and concern for you, for me, for us, is if we submit to the gospel of Jesus, man, it's this intense longing that he has for every single one of us. Because we are now in Christ. We are now covered in his blood. It's no longer about us. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. Um, that leads us to the next point that we talked about. All Christians struggle with a fragile faith. I mean, if you feel like you are a subpar Christian or that God is distant or that you can't seek after God because you're struggling with your faith, you're, you're just buying into the lies of Satan. Uh, biblically speaking, that's par for the course. Don't use that as an excuse. Don't use that as a reason to cast, to shut God away. No, God is present in your life. And you know, like here I want to touch upon um, something that Terry mentioned during praise, which I thought was very encouraging, is not only is Jesus the sacrifice, but he's also the priest. And if you know what Jesus is doing as a priest right now, uh, I mean, it says it explicitly in Hebrews. What is he doing? He is interceding on our behalf. This type of heart and concern that God has for us, it is not, like I mean, it's not just Paul. In Hebrews, it says Jesus right now at the right-hand throne of God. He's not just enjoying the comforts of heaven. He's not just enjoying the luxuries of the new, you know, blissful life of just hearing the angels sing his name. Jesus right now is praying for us, interceding on our behalf. Like the same type of heart that a parent has for a child, just constant longing, the same type of that that Paul described. Jesus is, that is what scripture is explicitly saying for us because he recognizes that all of us, we will be struggling with our faith until we see Jesus face to face. So when we see others struggle and overcome some of these adversities, afflictions, and we're going to experience that in our small group, there are two really um, ways for us to respond. And one is our faith in God grows. Um, that's why I love these each part testimonies. That's why I love small groups, moments of vulnerability, because ironically, your moment of vulnerability is not going to discourage me. It's actually going to encourage me. And the other thing is, my dependence on God deepens. The more we open up to one another, the more we're going to pray for each other. Wow, my sister's going through that. And man, like, I can't believe she has to carry that weight day and night. I'm so encouraged. My faith is growing because she's still struggling through it. But you know, I, I need to pray for her more. I need to pray for him more. You know, I, you know, I think I'm going to fast for this brother or I'm going to pick up the phone and call or I'm going to send a text message or something. Our dependence on God deepens, especially through prayer. So hopefully some of these things that we read, we see the relevance of it, not only in our own personal lives, but in the community of Uptown, especially with these life group underway. Uh, at this point, uh, we're going to have a moment of personal reflection. 
before we pray for um, some of uh, some of our uptown concerns. So I just want to give us an opportunity uh, to just really respond to what the Holy Spirit may be placing on your heart. And if your response is you have questions, or if you have a prayer request, or if you have a prayer, text that away anonymously. Um, but I want to give us an opportunity, especially point one and two. I really think these are reminders that we really, that are very pressing and urgent. If you are in Christ, do you know how God views you? Like really, if you are in Christ, do you know what God is thinking about when he thinks about you? Is it like, oh my gosh, he's doing this again. Why does he still sin like that? No, God is longing for you. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. It's not because of who you are. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. I just want us to reflect upon that. And especially the second point, if you're struggling in your faith, that's God's way of working in your life. So I just want to give us an opportunity. Uh, let's just respond to God, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us before we move on.